Okay, take five of the original podcast for World History After 1500. Today we are joined by fellow historian Joe Tellerico. Say what's up, Joe. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Joe is in the History of the Holocaust class, or Literature of the Holocaust. Literature of the Holocaust, Joe's yeah. in the Literature of the Holocaust class, so he's not in this history class with us, but when I told him I was doing a History of, the Hol- or history of uh, World War II type podcast, he simply couldn't refuse. No, I could not. So today we're going to be talking about a German SS uniform. Stay tuned for our first topic. So I think a good way to start talking about this is to address the object itself, which is an SS German uniform, which was donated to the history of the World BBC Museum by the Antiques Roadshow. The uh, object was made in 1930 for Officer U. Kraft, which is printed on the inside pocket. And um, he was part of the Germania Regiment. And the um, uniform itself was purchased in... 1978 for £22. So I think there's a couple different ways to start and talking about this, but I think that we're going to just basically get into who it was created by, which was the Hugo Boss Fashion Company, which is just one of the many companies that still exist today that that collaborated with the Nazi party during the during World War II. Other collaborators included IBM, Volkswagen, Coca-Cola, Associated Press, Kodak, and Bayer. This particular particular um, design uniform was designed by Carl Dibstitch, which was later to become an SS Obsterfeuer, which is one of the SS rankings, and graphic designer, uh, which is a, who is a Sturmhaupsfeuer, Walter Heck. So Hugo Boss, being a fashion designer, was also a person that existed during the 1940s, and he was actually a member of the Nazi party when these uniforms were being made. So I think in order to best describe the black shirt, which this uniform that I'm particularly studying is based off of, it's best to delve into the history of the SS itself. So basically the SS and the SA were two, two uh, groups that were started in the early 1920s, the early days of the Nazi party, and essentially were the SS was essentially a bodyguard group for Hitler, which was about only eight people. And then in 1929 of January, um, the SS was transformed into something much larger by Heinrich Himmler, who Hitler decided to put at the head of it. And he essentially wanted to make the SS a much larger organization than the SA itself. So what do you have to say about that? Joe? Yeah. So it, re- it really wasn't that major of an organization until Himmler became its leader. Uh, it was part of the SA, actually. So it, it fell under the command of uh, the SA and their leaders. Mm-hmm. Himmler didn't like that. So... He tried to entice Hitler into getting rid of the SA, or at least giving him more leeway yeah. than he normally has. Right. It essentially led to the SS being a much larger organization for both internal security and his and um, racial um, yeah. racial purification, as it were. Which which um I, uh, we'll get into Heinrich Himmler in a second, but he was actually his ideas, which uh, actually were the fuel behind um, much of what happened in the Holocaust, which kind of makes Joe a perfect guest here, being a literature of the Holocaust yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. student in particular. So we will get into that in a sec. So this transition from the SS to being from being one of Hitler's just um, groups of personal bodyguards to being a much larger faction of the Nazi um, military. Um, like Nazi society. Yeah, not society, as it were. Sort of happened with the Night of the Long Knives, which, Joe, you have anything Yeah, to say so 
by 1934, Hitler was uh, the leader of Germany. Um, so the SA was still like the main paramilitary organization and the SS fell under that. But Himmler was able to convince Hitler that the SA conspiring against him or were a, a danger to him, that they do another uh, a coup. And so that culminates in the Night of the Long Knives, uh, June 30th, 1934, I believe, where most of the SA leadership is purged. They're the leader, Ernst Röhm, he's, he's killed. Uh, and yeah, and so Hitler in the end makes the SS independent of the SA. And Hitler gets a lot of power after that night. So, so it was essentially a Nazi on Nazi type of purge. Yeah, purge. Where the SS generally took over and became a much, much larger faction than it was before. So I think a lot of what is to be understood by the SS can be understood through its generally the, I would say the creator of the SS, the person who made it as big as it was, who is Heinrich Himmler. So a lot of Himmler's story can be told through this great source I found called Himmler's Utopia, which generally tells about Himmler attests to his personality, but he basically, Joe, you were saying he came from humble beginnings, yeah, right? He started off as a chicken farmer. Uh, he was poor, pretty insignificant. He really only becomes powerful once he joins the Nazi party and starts attending the uh, meetings. And then I think he participates in a beer hall push, which yeah. was, of course. But Yeah, the beer hall push is essentially what pushes him to essentially be a, a, per, a, a person of significance in the Nazi yeah. party. But um, basically, Himmler, he hated Christianity. That was one of his main um, characteristics. It was because he didn't believe that he didn't believe that it was justified that a religion should place a Jew as the son of God, as the Messiah. He he was fascinated by ancient history of the Germanists of Germany, and he wanted all SS men to share this type of passion that he had. And so for this reason, he founded an SS research institute that employed more than 100 German scholars to study the past and help tutor SS men in the ways of their ancestors. So essentially, Himmler was this huge history buff, and he wanted all the SS to share he, they wanted they wanted to share this ideology to essentially make them better soldiers. He was also a born micromanager, kind of like Hitler was himself. It was noted that he kept a diary with the exact time of day, sometimes down to the minute. He would receive letters and birthday greetings from his friends and family members. He recorded the precise time as train departed from the station and kept a lengthy list of all the books he read. He would pen dates in the start and ten finishing time of each one as well. So this type of thing, I guess, can be characterized as like a sort of a characteristic of the Nazi party in general, and especially Hitler. It was hard to keep stuff from these guys just because they were born micromanagers and essentially just they wouldn't let anything get past them. Yeah. Um, anything you got to say about I mean, that, Joe? Himmler, once the SS starts expanding, it, uh, it absorbs the Gestapo, which is secret police, uh, the security uh, directed uh, SD, which is like intelligence and counterintelligence so he essentially knew everything about <laughs> everyone in germany and yeah a lot of the uh higher ranking nazis were a little afraid of him because of that fact mm -hmm. and it wasn't really until after the war that the surviving nazis were saying or criticizing himmler like you have here albert spear saying himmler was half schoolmaster half crackpot yeah they all generally even though they feared him they had this sort of animosity towards yeah, they didn't him. they didn't go like him they were jealous uh mainly because of his closeness to Hitler and the amount of power he accumulated. Yeah, and as we, as we discussed, um, he was a born micromanager and he had a passion for both the the Aryan race as well as the past of Germany itself. Yeah. 
he was a uh, interesting because he's a he was one of the first like truly anti-Semitic Nazis that joined the party. Mm-hmm. But you see, it's really just Hitler, uh, Himmler, and a few other obscure guys that don't really matter nowadays. But Himmler was definitely second to Hitler, probably the most uh, anti-Semitic of all of them. Yeah. So basically, Himmler found Hitler's ideas of the lost Aryan golden age immensely appealing and hitler saw something appealing in himmler as well which was the deep unwavering fervor and blind obedience to his authority generally essentially i mean that he demanded of all of his members of his inner circle so this kind of segues perfectly into what we were talking about before in january 20 or january of 1929 hitler placed himmler at the head of the ss so we have some time left here. Um, I think that the discussion of Himmler kind of is also a huge part of discussing the Holocaust as well, because Hitler was one of the first like true fervent or true anti-Semites. Yeah, he was probably the most one of the most dedicated to the cause of anti-Semitism in Nazi Germany. It was essentially his ideals that pushed towards yeah. the final solution, which is which Hitler is accredited with talking about in his book Mein Kampf, but was also a big part of Himmler's ideology as well. Yeah, really, Himmler's the one who puts the whole, I guess. Uh, concentration camp system into place. Uh, it starts under the SS um, with Adolf Eichmann and uh, uh, Reinhard Heydrich, who are two of Himmler's uh, sub- subordinates in the SS, and they come up with the idea of a final solution. Which... Yeah, that's essentially another great strand of uh, historical value that I guess can be derived from the SS because Himmler, essentially, his anti Semitic viewpoints is what was one of the things that essentially led to the final solution and basically, you know, led to the, the, the mass murder of 6 million Jews in the Holocaust. So basically the discussion of the SS ends with the end of the war. I mean, the, um, the SS itself being a powerful military organization under Hitler, I guess, was essentially to no avail because, well, obviously the war ends with the suicide of many prominent um, Nazi officers and soldiers and whatnot. But Joe, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, so by the summer of 1945, the war is pretty much over for Germany. Uh, Himmler decides to try and make a peace with the Allies, which Hitler doesn't like. When Hitler finds out, he orders Himmler to be uh, executed. But by the time that happens, um, the war's over. Uh, Hitler kills himself, and Himmler's captured before anyone can shoot him. And while in custody, he ends up killing himself. Uh, by cyanide and besides Himmler most of the other high-ranking SS guys uh, people like Eichmann they escape into South America and other places Eichmann is captured in Haines in 1960 something but other prominent SS uh, leaders they manage to hide and we don't really know what happens to them Mm. Um, others are are just killed during the war like Heydrich a few uh, well, not a few, but a lot actually end up just killing themselves because they don't want to be executed or put on trial. And the ones that get captured, the high-ranking guys, get put on trial in Nuremberg and other post-war trials and they're hanged for crimes against humanity or just sentenced to prison for the rest of their lives. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, essentially in this last part of the war, um, Goebbels, he pushed to have many soldiers stay and essentially fight to the death, which made, which made um, American troops, which were... Um, which were liberating the areas much more wary of what was going to happen with the, um, with the civil, with the, with the uh, citizens, because they were all, they all had this propaganda in their head of what they should do if they were, if their towns taken yeah. over by the allies. Yeah. Goebbels wasn't part of the SS, but he did 
play a, a significant part in the encouraging fanaticism of the SS with his propaganda. A lot of the SS guys, they were known for just suicidal attacks that, I mean, was suicide. There was no good way for them to, mm. like, do it again. So essentially what, what that c- concludes is that the um, the Nazis were essentially fanatic about their cause and that they were just so devoted to victory that they were, they were willing to do anything in order to achieve the end goal, even when they weren't able to, and they just ended in essentially, you know, them all giving up or committing suicide and, you know, yeah. the rest of history yeah. goes. Yeah, so Hugo Boss, uh, I don't believe he ever gets into too much trouble for participating. Um Today, not many people seem to care that Hugo Boss is involved. Yeah, it's crazy with all the cancel culture stuff going on. You would think that they'd be that they'd yeah, be all over that, but it's a bit yeah, different. Hugo Boss is German. They don't like talking about this stuff in Germany, so like it's a, bit it's, it's a little hush hush over there. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I think that concludes our podcast. Um, thank you for listening to our description of the rise, fall, and um, essential rule of the SS and the. The reign of Hitler and Himmler alike, and I think that that um, it's important to note that um, the SS, although was a military organization under Hitler, also has ties to other parts of the uh, the war itself, which I think we've done a good job of describing. Yeah, I think uh, that sums it up pretty well. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very guys. Oh my God, I'm just fried right now. Thank oh, you guys yeah. so much for listening and. Uh, Yeah, thank you.